Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. We're in the church of Thyatira. This is our fourth uh, church that we're looking at. So we've got three more weeks of the seven churches here in the book of Revelation. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of, their wor- of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart And I will give to each one of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, please protect our church. God, please permeate our minds, our hearts, the pulpit, our Sunday school classes, our small groups, our Bible studies, permeate those with the Word of God. Give us hearts that quickly respond and repent, that trust you, that depend upon you. Father, we need you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't know much about uh, the church at Thyatira. What we do know is that uh, Lydia was probably uh, one of the founding members. If you remember in uh, the book of Acts where Paul uh, goes to uh, Philippi and he's on the river. And uh, there's a lady named Lydia who hears the gospel. Her heart is open and she was from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple. And that, that's kind of cool because from history we know that this city happened to be a commercial center producing lots of garments dyed purple. And so uh, Lydia was a part of that. And so we know that about her and about this church, not a whole lot else. What we do know is what Jesus reveals of himself to the church. Remember, in each one of these churches, what's one of the things we're looking at? We are looking at how does Jesus reveal himself to the church? So, right, in every church, he reveals himself a little differently. Why? Because they need to see Jesus. We all need to see Jesus. That's what we need is to know Christ. And so in each one of these churches, Jesus reveals a little different thing about himself to the church based on what's going on in the church. And so to this church, in verse 18, you'll notice he reveals the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, focus on that first part, whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, remember, we saw that in chapter 1 
uh, chapter 1, verse 14, I believe, when John sees the vision of Jesus. And, and, and we know that what that means is Jesus sees, okay? So he, he sees. He sees like nobody else sees. He sees it all, okay? So if you, want, if you want to put it in terms maybe we can understand, Jesus has x-ray vision, infrared vision, telescopic, microscopic, MRI, ultrasound, spiritual motive, heart, and thought vision, okay? That's all I could think of. If I could think of more, he'd have more, all right? He sees it all perfectly, okay? But not only does he see, when we look at this in chapter 1, we emphasize this a little bit, it sees in the sense of he's going to respond. Okay? Now, we know that for sure because look at verse 23. Okay? So after he, after he rebukes this church for tolerating Jezebel and he talks about the punishment, he says, I'm going to carry this out. Why? Verse 23, I will strike your children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who, look, searches mind and heart and I will give to each one of you as your works deserve. You see the two parts of that? Not only does he see mind and heart, but then he gives to each as their works deserve. And so it, it is a responsiveness, all right? So Jesus is, is, is calling to their memory the fact that there is no hiding from him, number one, and that he will respond to what he sees. So you can't posture yourself to hide from Jesus. We try to do that sometimes, don't we? We try, we try to posture ourselves. We all present ourselves in a certain way to other people. We present ourselves in the way that we want to be seen, in the way that we want to, others to think of us. Well, there's no doing that with Jesus. I mean, Jesus just flat sees it all. Okay, all the way into our heart, into our motives, into our thoughts, into the deepest recesses of why we do what we do. Jesus sees all of that and there will be a response. That's what verse 23 assures us. He says, I want all the churches to know I'm the one who searches mind and heart and will give to each one of you as your works deserve. In other words, Jesus is not one of those people that he may see, but he's not going to do anything. We had a VOAG teacher when I was in high school, and again, I was a sinful guy, um, so I'm not advocating this in, in any way, but we knew this about our VOAG teacher. We knew that he was doing things he wasn't supposed to do, and he knew that we knew that, okay? Well, as a, as a lost 17-year-old boy, I knew that I could take advantage of that. And so I would walk in the front door of the, the, of the VOAG building, which was, had, a, had a hallway to the rest of the school. I'd walk in there. We'd walk through the VOAG place. And we'd walk out the back door to go get donuts, and we'd come back right before the bell rang. Okay, that's, that's what we did, all right? And there were lots of times when the VOAG teacher would stand at the door, and he would say, you boys, you boys, come back, come back. Hey, we got work to do. There we went. Go to get donuts. We knew he saw Man, he was talking to us. But what else did we know? He's not going to do anything. A lot of people treat Jesus that way. I know he sees. I know he knows what's going on at home. Oh, yeah, I know he knows what I thought about. I know he knows what I did. I know he knows, I know he knows those things. But, but, but we're banking on that he's not going to do anything. And Jesus says, I want you to see what I'm going to do right here so that all the churches, I would say Lincoln Avenue would be a part of that, all the churches, that all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. Go to verse 19. We start out in verse 19 with the commendation section, okay? So in many of these churches, Thyatira especially, there is a commendation. All right, let me summarize it for you. This is a good church, okay? This is a good church. 
I, I want us to be like this church except for the tolerating of Jezebel, all right? Let's just not have a Jezebel. How, how about that? Let's just not, not have one, all right? But, but otherwise, this is a great church, okay? Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, those are all stellar things, okay? This is a working church. It is a church who, who not only has faith, but, man, you can see it. Like there's demonstrations of it. You, you go around them and you see their faith being lived out in very practical ways. Ephesians 2 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Folks, we aren't saved by good works, right? If you want to be saved, you, you, you don't go do good things to try to earn favor with God. You can't do it that way. You're already broken. You put your faith in Christ, and then He saves you, and He puts His Spirit inside of you, and if His Holy Spirit is in there, it's going to come out. In good works. It's going to come out in, in, in righteousness, in righteous deeds. And this was a church who had good works. Not only did they have good works, they had love. There's a lot of ways in which Thyatira and Ephesus are the opposite of one another, okay? Now, I wish we had more time to unpack that. I thought I've actually got it in here. I haven't had time in either of the other ones, so I probably won't in this one either. But, but, but they're, they're opposite in the sense of, of Ephesus was a, a church that was strong in doctrine, strong in, in, uh, in, 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 in deeds, but they lost their love. They didn't love each other well. They didn't love God well. This church is a church that not only has works, they've also got love. Jesus says, I know your works, I know your love. He said, they've got faith, they've got service, they've got patient endurance. This is a church who pushed through tough times, okay? Tough times would hit this church, and they would patiently endure. They would push through them. They would keep the faith. Loss of jobs, health problems. Man, our church has been hit in the last couple weeks. You know, two people... Burned badly, associated with our church. Um, we've had several people diagnosed with cancer in the last couple of weeks. We had a member die. Um, we, we just uh, had, a, had a guy have a stroke. I mean, we, we've just, lots of families are really suffering. This was the kind of church that had those things happen, and they pushed through. But notice the, I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the crown right here. Verse 19, the last thing he mentions. Your latter works exceed the first. All right? Now, again, what was wrong in Ephesus? Remember the very first church? I mean, they were, they were a church that needed to remember their, their first love. They, they lost their first love. Jesus told them, remember from where you've fallen. Okay? So, in other words, if, if you graph out your spiritual life, Ephesus looked like this. Okay? It was up here, and it's declining. Right? They didn't love each other like they used to. They, they, they weren't loving God like they used to. All right? But Thyatira, if you graph it out, their latter works, the, the works presently, are greater than the ones at first. In other words, this is a church that's growing. These are not sprinters. This is not a rearview mirror church. You know what a rearview mirror church is? You're always looking back. You know, you're always looking back at the glory days. You're always looking back at what happened back then. Okay? No, no. This church is looking at, man, what's God doing now? They're growing. They're growing in, in, their, in their relationships, in their ministry, in their discipleship. This is a church that's not content to coast. They're more connected now in vital relationships than they were five years ago. This is a church that where, where they're more making their men. Think about it this way. This is a church where you could go in and you could talk to their men, and their men would say, I am making disciples better than I did five years ago. This is a church you could go in and talk to their women. And the women would say, I'm mentoring more young women right now than I was 10 years ago. In other words, their graph's going up. 
Right? This is a church that you could walk into and they would say, man, my prayer life is more alive now than it was five years ago. My study of the scriptures is more in depth than it was ten years ago. This is a church that's climbing. Okay, the, 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 their, their present deeds exceed those of the past. And that's a natural progression, shouldn't it be? I mean, isn't that the way the Christian life should be? I mean, think about it this way. When, when, you, when you come to know Jesus and you come to know him more and more, Shouldn't that result in you serving him more and more, you loving him more and more, you praying more and more, you discipling more and more? I mean, if you have the kind of Christianity that says, man, the more I came to know Jesus, the more I wanted to be mean to people, you know? The more I came to know Jesus, man, the more I wanted to stay home and not worship, okay? If that's your Christianity, you're not seeing Jesus rightly, all right? This, 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 Jesus commends them for this. The, your latter works exceed the first. You're discipling more. You're mentoring more. You're sharing the gospel more. You're loving more. You're worshiping more. That's climbing, not declimbing. But. So let's be that church. Let's not be this next church. But. I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed idols. I highly doubt that there was a woman named Jezebel in the church, okay? I just doubt it because it's not a popular name. You know, the, the, one, the, the gal in the Old Testament, she kind of ruined the name, and you just don't hear, you don't hear a lot of them anymore, okay? So I doubt that that is what Jesus is saying, is that he's actually naming a person. I think what he's doing is what he did at Pergamum. Remember last week? Remember last week there was a destructive heresy that was leading the church astray? And Jesus says, man, you're following the way of Balaam and Balak. And, and, he, and he calls their mind back to the Old Testament, to, to, to Balaam who, tried, who undermined the church, who led the, who, not, not the church, Israel, who undermined Israel and led Israel into, into compromising and idolatry and sexual morality. Okay, and I think he's doing the same thing here. He's calling their mind to the Jezebel of the Old Testament. You remember that gal? Okay, now Ahab, rotten king. I mean, bad king, all right? He marries Jezebel, makes him 10 times worse, all right? Uh, worst, maybe biggest mistake he made. He wasn't any good anyway, but man, he's really bad after he marries Jezebel. He marries Jezebel, and Jezebel basically leads Israel into idolatry. She's the, the gal that had Naboth put to death so that they could take his vineyard. She's the one that wanted Elijah assassinated. She's the one that had all the temples built in Israel to the false god Baal. She's a gal that really destroyed and hurt Israel in a serious way. And what Jesus says here is you've got somebody in your midst that is causing great harm to the church, and you're tolerating her. Now, again, what was she teaching? We don't know. We don't know. Again, like I said last week, it's really doubtful that she's like, hey, come to my sexual immorality class. You know, I don't think she was doing that. I think she was teaching a doctrine that when you began to believe it and live it, it resulted in a compromise of your faith. And so, again, it could have been, what did we talk about last week? We talked about when you start with my happiness and not the glory of God, that, that leads you in bad places, right? When, when, you, when your doctrine revolves around you, and not God's glory. It could have been this Gnosticism that they said, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It's in my heart is what's right. Okay? That's really popular today. That's coming back around. Isn't it funny how things cycle around? You know, every thousand years, here they come, you know? And that, pe- people say that today. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. It's what I believe in my heart and my mind. No. We don't know what she was teaching, but whatever she was teaching was causing the people of God to stumble. 
And Jesus says, you're tolerating this gal. Now, what does it mean to tolerate someone? Well, it means you don't oppose them. It means you you don't resist them. You don't stand against them. You allow them to carry out their agenda among you. Now, we need to stop right here and talk about this because if you're living out your faith at all, you're probably being accused of being intolerant. In the United States of America right now, honestly, outside the church, there's only one sin, and that's intolerance. I mean, really. I mean, you, you, can, you can almost do anything and it be justified, but be intolerant. Okay, now, now what I want to point out is, first of all, it, it's really silly to accuse Christians of being intolerant. From this standpoint, we are the people that love our enemies. Are we not? We are the people that, that, that speak well of those who slander us. We are the people who reach out to those who, 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 who seek to persecute us. All right? That, that's who we follow Jesus in that. This nation was founded on a New Testament ethic. And because of that, even a hundred years ago, when it was so much more of a nation following Christ, even then, if you spoke out against Jesus in public, if you burned a Bible in public, if you, if you uh, uh, slandered the church in public, what happened to you? Nothing. Right? Why? Because Christians are people that love their enemies. What happens if you burn the Koran in Pakistan? Well, you come back without a head, probably, right? But yet Christians are said to be the people that are intolerant. Now, now why is that? Well, let me, let me, I think I have an answer. And it's this. We are people, maybe the only people right now in the American culture, who believe that there is truth and that people deserve to hear it. That's why. We believe that there's truth. We, we have strong convictions about things. We, we believe that God, through His Son Jesus, through His prophets, has given us truth. And then that, that there's, there's truth that we can stand upon and base our life upon and be blessed forever upon. We, we are convinced of that. And because of that, we want people to have that. We, we don't want them to, to live in, in deception. And, and so when, when you hold tightly to truth, well, people will call you intolerant. Even, even though, again, we, we are not the kind of people who, you know, somebody at work disagrees with you about the gospel. Man, I hope that you're not over there pounding them. Please don't do that. If you are, tell them you're a Muslim or something. Don't, don't tell them you're a Christian, okay? Because that's not, that's not Jesus, okay? Hopefully if someone disagrees with you at your workplace. What do you do? Hopefully you bring them brownies the next day, you know? And you try to love them to Jesus. You try to share the gospel and care for them. And when their family's in trouble, you, 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 you try to minister to them. Okay, that, 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 that's who we are as a people. But here's what's true. We do believe things strongly. We're not jello. Okay? When you're jello, you just mold to whatever. Okay? That, that's most of American culture. Most of American culture does not believe anything strongly. Except that you shouldn't be told what to do. That, that's, the, that's the virtue, I guess. And so Jesus condemns this church because they're being tolerant of this woman whose doctrine is leading people astray. Now, there's another level of accountability within the church, okay? So you have outside the church, you have, you have our, our, our love for the world and our, our desire that they know the truth. Inside the church, we, we have another layer of accountability. Why? Because we are the visual, visual demonstration of Jesus to the world. 
And so we take care of each other at a higher level, right? And so, so if, if, if a lost guy out in the world is, is, is living in sin, and I have opportunity to share the glorious saving grace of Jesus, then I want to do that. But if my brother Fred is living in sin, then I'm going to take a step further. I'm going to go share with him and care for him and keep him accountable. And if he doesn't repent, I'm going to be at his house again because I love him. And in some way, this church was not doing that with this lady. Now again, this lady's doctrine, her belief system, was leading people to idolatry and sexual morality. Now, guys, I, I, and just bear with me. Some of you probably are, are going to think, man, he went too far, but I prayed all week, and, and I, I just feel I, I got, I've got to do this. Bad thing about having multiple campuses, I've had to do it three times now, okay? <laughs> but last week, sexual morality was right in the center of the church at Pergamum. And, and I, I just kind of breezed through it, and man, the Lord reminded me in the clearest possible way while I was still in this building that I need to be more clear. So I'm going to try to be more clear, okay? Um, in, our, in our day and age, there is mass confusion about sexual morality. It comes from the media. It comes from everywhere, okay? So I, w- I want to try to be as clear as I can, love you the best way that I can today, by telling you the truth from the scriptures. What, what is sexual morality? Okay, so this lady Jezebel, her beliefs, her, her philosophy of life was leading sexual morality. What is sexual morality? Any sexual relationship outside of the one man, one woman marriage covenant. Okay? So anything other than or with anyone other than, any sexual activity other than, with anyone other than, your biblical husband your biblical wife of marital covenant, that is sexual morality, okay? Now, I want to go even further, okay? Just allow me to do this. I feel like God wants me to do this. What do you mean by marriage? I mean, there was a day and age where that was clear, where everybody in the room was like, he said marriage. I know what that means. That's, we don't live in that day, okay? What do I mean by marriage? Marriage is one man and one woman joined as husband and wife in the eyes of God and the eyes of man for life. That is marriage, okay? Now, now why, 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 why do I have to be so specific? Well, let me tell you why. Our sinful flesh, and you notice I said our, all of us, our sinful fr- flesh is brilliant and infinitely creative in relentlessly justifying what we want to do, Okay? That is true. Do not say that's not true of you. It is true of all of us. Okay? We are infinitely creative in that. Brilliant. Our, our, our sinful flesh will make all kinds of mental gymnastic moves to be able to define, redefine, justify our situation to be able to do what we want to do. Not just in this area of sexual morality. I think in all kinds of areas. That's why we've got to hold on to truth. Okay? Okay? So, I'm going to be even more specific. I've been as specific as I can, but I'm going to be even more specific, okay? These are all things that I've heard, okay, recently. Basically married, that is not marriage, okay? I don't know what it is, but it's not marriage, 
Okay? Married in our hearts. Again, no, I, I don't know what it is. I would define it for you if I knew. I do not know. I don't know what that means to be married in your heart. I don't know what it means to be married in your feet. I don't know what it means to be married in your toenails. I don't know what that means, okay? I don't know. I don't know. But it's being said all over. We're married in our hearts. Okay, great. But I don't know what that is. And it's not what the Bible says marriage is. And so sexual activity, when you're married in your hearts, is simply fornication. It's simply sexual morality. Okay? Having sex with only a specific person, that's not marriage. Being in love, not marriage. He or she really needs me. That's not marriage. Going to be married soon. Great. It's not marriage. Been together a long time. Super. Not marriage. That's what sexual morality is. And why? Why I mentioned several of these churches. Why? Why is it the struggle? Why is it the, the thing that Jesus puts his finger on and says, oh, this has got to change. If it doesn't, I'm coming. Why? Because sexual morality destroys lives it destroys families you've had your television set probably on the last couple weeks and you've seen our cities in chaos okay now i i understand those are complicated situations don't don't hear me saying that i don't think there's anything but this wrong those are complicated complicated situations a lot of things involved i understand all of that but but let me let me let me tell you what my firm conviction is much of that Much of what you see, much of the harm and the pain and the chaos that you see in our cities is a result of generational sexual immorality. Now, you are not going to hear that on CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News. You're not going to hear that anywhere else, okay? But, But I believe it is true, and here's why I believe it is true, because the Bible is very clear, sexual immorality tears apart families. It never brings families together. It, 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 it never solidifies covenant relationships. It, it never brings about permanence in marriage and stable families. It does the opposite. It rips families apart. Now, when you have enough families that for generations have been ripped apart, you begin to have cities that fall apart. You begin to have cultures that fall apart. And so it's clear why Jesus would say, you got to stop this. If you need a biblical basis, there's lots of them. I've chosen one. We don't have time for more than this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Ready? Listen up. For this is the will of God. You write this down if you, if you want to come back to it, look at it. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you see why this is so important, church? When, when, when you live in sexual morality, you, you are living as if God does not exist. Like you don't know who He is. Like you don't know Jesus. You don't know what He's done. You don't know His truth. You don't know the cross. That's the only way to live in sexual immorality is to deny those things. Verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Don't hurt people. That's what it's saying. Don't hurt them. Don't take them by the hand and lead them into sin. Don't, don't do that. Because the Lord is an avenger. 
in all these things. Now, if we were just in 1 Thessalonians 4 and we're reading through this and you heard the Lord is an avenger, you might think, well, that's just metaphorical. You know, it's just, um, you know, God just says he's not happy with it. But when you read the letter that we just read to a real church where Jesus says you're tolerating this and then he says in verse 20, 21, I, I gave her time to repent. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I'll throw in a great tribulation unless they repent of her, of her works and I'll strike her children dead. Man, Jesus is serious. He's an avenger. Now, probably there is, not probably. That's just me being generous. We, we could feel devastated by that. But please remember, he's talking about those who don't repent. Okay? What if that's in your history this morning, but you've repented? You put your faith in Jesus. You've called out to him and he saved you. Listen, listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. That's true today, right? Such were some of us, okay? Were, but what's happened? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the, by the Spirit of our God. What's that saying? That's saying there's forgiveness, guys. There's forgiveness if we will repent of it, not live in it anymore. Stop doing it. Jesus, I, I hear you. We, we surrender. We, we're going to stop that, and we're turning in faith to you. You can be washed, justified, sanctified. But the problem here in Revelation 2 is that this lady refused to repent. She refused to repent. One of the other dangerous attitudes in the American church is, to each its own, it's none of my business. Right? To each its own, it's none of my business. I mean, it's really, it's nice to come to church and to be able to, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, and, and to know somebody's life's falling apart. But, but to excuse ourselves by saying, it's not, it's not in my business, you know. I gave him a warm handshake, and uh, I might pray for him this week, but that's it. Note, notice what Jesus says in verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. When you look around, hopefully this morning, you're looking at my Jesus is saying, my servants. They're his. They're his. What does that mean to be his? It means you belong to him, right? It means, it means that he loves you. It means that he, he died on the cross to save you. And so when, when we come together, these are Christ's servants. And we should, we should care about each other. And caring about each other means that we tell each other the truth you bring your child or your grandchild to our small group ministry tonight it's the last night of children's small group and they come i'm usually here helping out and they come up to me pastor jason i have a tummy ache and i say oh man i'm sorry come here and i take him to our closet and i say you just pick whatever you want sweetie 
whatever you want, you th- whatever you think, you're smart, and your parents, man, I met them, they're good folks, whatever, you just pick whatever you want, whatever you think would be good for a tummy ache. And they say, well, how about this, pastor? Hey, if you think that looks good, then I support you in that, you know? So they pour themselves a little pine saw, you know, swigger back. You come and get them. Man, they're a lot worse. But you're okay with me, right? Because each is own. Right? And, and I, I just, I didn't want to hurt their feelings by telling them that was a dumb choice, you know. And I, I sure didn't want to, you know, hurt their self-esteem that, hey, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about here. That's, that's not going to help you. I mean, maybe their truth was pints all helps and, hey, all truth is truth, right? No, I think you're mad at me, right? I think you're real mad. Like, like you're not my friend anymore because I did that. Okay, Jesus is saying, these are my servants. You tell them, you tell them the truth, you care about them. You don't, you don't let this lady lead people astray. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. Isn't that heartbreaking? I mean, Jesus, Jesus is so generous. This, this lady's had time. This lady's had people come to her door. Hey, Jezebel. I don't know her name, but it sounds funny. Hey, Jezebel. You got to stop. Man, what, what you're believing is not wrong. The way you're looking at the Bible, the way you're looking at Jesus, man, the, what you're going and doing, it's against the word of God and it's, it's hurting you. It's hurting other people. It's not going to lead you to blessing. I don't care. It, and interesting, at each one of the end, remember we did this last week. Every one of them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? What, what's that talking about? Responsiveness to the word. Right? When a believer is confronted with their sin, what do they do? They respond. We got ears to hear. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, you, I trust you. Man, you said I'm going in the wrong direction. Man, I, I confess my sin. I, I justified it, Lord. I knew it was wrong and I did it. And God, I'm sorry. I repent. I turn away. Okay, but, but there are some like this lady. She hears the truth. I don't care. Man, you believe what you believe. I'm, I'm going forward. I'm doing what I want to do. And for her, there's only, there's only judgment that remains. You know, it seems really harsh what Jesus says here, but man, do you remember the Jezebel of the Old Testament? Do you have that picture in your head? I'm afraid some of you don't, so I think I'm going to have to tell it. This is, this is like, you know, terrible sermon day. I'm sorry, but you know. Do you remember what happens to that gal? I mean, she leads Israel astray, and, and, and God appoints Jehu Jehu rides in, man, the guys come out to face him. He destroys them. He rides right up to the palace. It says in 2 Kings, read this after, after lunch. 2 Kings 9, 30, after lunch, especially. 2 Kings 9, 30, okay? 2 Kings 9, 30 through 37. She paints her, the scripture says, she dolls herself up. Probably a beautiful lady. She dolls herself up, looks out the window. Hey, Jehu. Jehu looks up and says, which one of you guys is with me? couple guys say, yeah, we're with you. They saw what he did out in the field. They're like, yeah, we're with you. Jehu says, throw her down. They pitch her off the ledge. She dies as she hits the stone. And the horses trample her. 
Jehu goes in to eat lunch. I'm not making this up. It's exactly what the scripture says. Jehu goes in to eat lunch. After he eats lunch, he says, you know what? She is a queen. We probably should bury her. But by the time they get out, there's nothing left of her but her skull and her hands. And they remember what Elijah said, the prophecy that he made as Jezebel was destroying the nation of Israel, that the dogs would... Why do I tell you that story? Well, that, that's what Jesus is referring to. But the other thing, man, church, I just we need to have a soberness. This is serious stuff. Jesus says he threatens sickness, tribulation, and death upon the unrepentant. Again, not upon those who they have this in their past. They've repented. They're trusting Jesus. They're going forward. But he threatens this on those who will not repent. Is he just talking about hell? Some people have said that. You know, sickness, tribulation, death. It could be. I, I mean, certainly that's involved there. But I, I, think, I think he's actually talking about physical sickness, tribulation, or death. I believe that because 1 Corinthians 11, there's, there's people in that church that Paul says, some of you are sick, some have died. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, I mean, God... God executes judgment there. I I think discipline, really. Mercy. He says, I'm not going to let you live in this. But Jesus will take stern action. Again, let me circle back all the way to the end. All the way to the beginning. This is a good church. Okay? This is a good church. They're working. They're loving. They're serving. They're growing. They're growing. In some ways, they, they just have the struggle that Ephesus did. Ephesus was all truth and no love. These guys are so much love that they, they don't have the courage to speak truth. Probably everybody kind of gravitates toward one or the other. But here's what Jesus says to us. Hold fast. Hold on to the truth. Look at verse 25. Hold fast what you have until I come. I wish we had time to look at the, the promises that Christ makes to this church, if you'll be faithful, um, you'll rule with him over the nations. He, Jesus pictures his reign as, as, a, as a lead club hitting clay pots, okay? In other words, this, this is going to be a total victory that's coming, and you're going to reign with me if you'll stay steadfast. Then he, then he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. What's that? Lots of interpretations, but if you look in Revelation 22, Jesus is referred to as the bright morning star. I think, again, just as the hidden manna, Jesus is saying, I will give you more of myself, more of me. Be faithful to the end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, your word, God. Even when it's brutally difficult and hard, God, even when it's, it goes against our flesh, even when it convicts us and chastens us, God, we're so thankful for it. God, we... We don't want your judgment. We don't want your discipline, Lord. We, we, we want to repent. God, we want to be right with you. We want to embrace your mercy, rejoice in the forgiveness of the cross. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful as a church. Help us to be wise. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.